0: Welcome into to yet another edition of Preds Insiders ESPN 1025. The game, Ryan Porth, your host here alongside Jeremy K. Gover of the TheGameNashville.com and the Nashville Predators Radio Network. K is for knowledge. Gover, what up? Porth, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic.
1: We spoke through the radio, but we spoke yesterday, last night, after the,
0: we did after the big win. We did. You said, thanks, Porth. I'm here with Matt Irwin. <laughs> so that I did. And then that, you said, back up to you, Porth. That's right. That was us talking. Yeah. yeah that was a, our communication last Yeah, night. we're and adults now, so that's best. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's about as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> we are live here at Brew House South in Cool Springs, site of Smashville Live coming up at the top of the hour. Kyle Turris, Dan Hamus will be the player guest, and Braden Gall and Hal Gill will be here to host the show as well. So come on out still. Um, Still some space here at Brewhouse South for you to come out, grab a table, get some great food, and enjoy a great show coming up at 7. And Gover, last night I thought it was a great game from the Nashville Predators. 5-2. It wasn't perfect by any means. San Jose definitely had their their stretches in that game where they took over and they had the Preds on their heels. But knowing how talented – and how capable that Sharks team is, even though they were 0-3 going in, the fact that they were able to withstand that pressure and have a killer instinct in that third period and win 5-2, I, I thought that was pretty impressive.
1: It was impressive, because, and I asked a couple of the players this before the game and, of course, after the game in my post-game comments to Matt Irwin, uh, you know, was there a focus of any kind to suffocate the Sharks because they have talent, but they've gotten off to a rocky start. They were 0-3 coming into the game, like you mentioned. But what you did not mention, which I find still more fascinating, is that they had scored a grand total of three goals coming yeah. in, in their three games coming into the game. So uh, I was I was asking about that. Was there any kind of attention paid to saying we're going to suffocate these guys? Because you know that once the Sharks, or a good team like that, gets confidence, it's it, it, they're, it, the, the opponent is in trouble, Right. right. So uh, they, they said there, there was a, an element of that for sure, but that they wanted to play their game. It's still early in the season. They kind of want to work out the kinks as they see them and that kind of thing. So I thought it was a very good performance. You're right. The second period, there was a lot to be desired there for the mm-hmm. Predators. Outshot 18-7. Yes, and the Sharks really kind of had that snowball going downhill. But the Predators did hold tight enough to where it never – they were, the Sharks were never really in the game score-wise.
0: Here's where I thought that game turned in the third period because it, it wasn't just the second period where the Sharks turned it up two or three notches. They had a power play with a fresh sheet of ice to open the third period. Yes, And Brent Burns had a one-time opportunity in the left circle where standing on the other side of the arena, I thought, game tied. That's going in. And Pecorino anticipated that pass over to Brent Burns. He made that save the Preds killed that penalty. That was number one turning point. Number two was Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris scoring that third goal to make it 3-1 and give them some room and pad that lead before Philip Forsberg then made it 4-1. I thought the save by Pecorino on that penalty kill combined with the Turris goal, that was was a big swing in that third period where it easily could have been tied, and a couple minutes later it was 3-1.
1: Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there. Ryan Johansson out, uh, goes to the box at the tail end of the second period, setting up that fresh sheet of Notifying ice, Notifying
0: a power play that they yes. did
1: have. Right, that's correct. And so you're right, Brett Burns has that has that prime scoring chance. Renee shuts the door, and that that's what we, we I think that's lost. Porth and a lot of the hockey that we watch over time is you want your goaltender to be good. You're, you kind of are hoping that for that magical thirty save a, a night number, right? But it's really about making the saves at the right times, Mm -hmm. and that was a great example of that. Poor Pecorine made a key stop. He was great the rest of the night,
0: but he made a key stop at the key time of the game to keep that game where it was. Well, in years past, Pecorine makes acrobatic save after acrobatic save. That was not an acrobatic save. No, not at all. He's been really, really good positionally here in the last two, three seasons, and that was an example of that, of how he anticipated that shot or, or that pass going going from the corner across ice to Brent Burns, and he was right there on the money where he didn't have to make an acrobatic save to keep that puck from going to the back of the net. Now, Brent Burns,
1: he did cash in eventually, but it was, again, you're right, after the Kyle Turris goal and then the Philip Forsberg goal about five four four and a half minutes later. Yeah. And at that point, the game is basically over. It's not really. I mean, obviously, we've seen some fluky things happen, but, you know, for the most part, with four and a half minutes left, Brent Burns makes it four to two. They'd have to have a pretty, uh, they'd have to get a pretty lucky bounce at that point to get any kind of confidence. Especially right. again with the way their season has started—three goals in three games
0: coming into last night. Right, and then Dante Fabro, the empty net goal to make yep. it five two. How Gill all night long, during the game and after the game, was praising just how Dante Favreau looked and how poised, calm, cool, collected he was. Not only last night, but so far young in his in his career. Right, but last night he shut down an odd man rush. He
1: had a quick stick on a cross-ice pass that for sure would have been a scoring chance if it doesn't go in for, you know... Uh, you, you, we never know, of course, until it actually happens, right? Ben right. Burns is a great example of that. The save you just mentioned about how, you know, if Rene, if Rene doesn't anticipate that, that's a goal. It's the same thing. We don't know if he would have scored or not, but he broke up a cross-ice pass with a quick stick. There was a lot of th- And then, of course, he got the goal, and then he actually uh, led a charge as well, an offensive charge, I think, uh, right before the snowball kind of came downhill in the Sharks' favor at the beginning of the second period. So Dante Fabro looked really, really good. I lo- I've love, i loved his game in the first uh part of the season here, and I'm just interested, interested to see where this goes. I don't expect him to have, you know, a, a lull or some sort of, like, plateau or anything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, right, this kid's got, what, 12, 13 games maybe of NHL experience <laughs> still? Like, we're going to forget 13. that. Yeah, because he looks like he belongs. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's really encouraging to see that, and he's only going to get better in time, you would think. I tweeted out
0: this stat last night. In the third period. And it was a heck of a stat, by the way. Martin Jones has – thank you. Martin, (laughs) you you just – in those three seconds, you just showed me ten times more respect for that stat than Hal Gill did on the post-game. Well, that's unfortunate. I love Hal. But he just poo-pooed it as you know. Oh, th- those are just facts. I, you're my and friend and stuff. and I'd love to stick up for you, but he's bigger than me,
1: so we're not going to have this conversation later, are we? No, we're not. Okay, when he's I'm here okay. is what I mean. No. Yeah, okay, no, he, right. he will be
0: here. Here, I know. A that's, bit. That's he's what I'm probably saying. listening right now. Well, anyway, Martin Jones, <laughs> San Jose goaltender, has now allowed four plus goals in each of his last eight starts, playoffs included, at Bridgestone Arena. Every time he steps in that building, the prints light him up like a Christmas tree.
1: So think about what that means. And I don't know what the actual number is, although I'm sure in your research you do, maybe. But that is a goals against average of four or more. 4.10. See? That's not a recipe for success. I don't care if it's against one team or against one division or in a building or, what, or whatever it is. If you have a 4-0...
0: That's not good. No. That is not good. Not, a, not good at all. And the save percentage is 8.55. Which is even worse. In those eight starts. Yeah. I say that
1: because the Sharks traditionally have a high-powered offense, right? So you think, okay, well, Martin Jones allows four. We can probably get five or six. When you have an 8.57, that's just, just a bad
0: all-around. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I found that stat to be interesting. Um, and, look, the Sharks are in a bad way right now. Yeah. 0 four, the only team to be winless through four games. Uh, this and, and they season. signed
1: Patrick Marlowe, who's Marleau, original
0: Shark by the way, not original Shark. Sorry,
1: he was originally a Shark. That's right. right. Before going and having a cup of coffee with Toronto, he's back now with the Sharks, and they put him on the first line today. So tonight was tomorrow when they play, he's a a first line forty year old
0: player. That is a very top heavy team. They, yes, they quickly lost a lot of depth yes, they did. off a team that went to the Western Conference final. Yeah, with Joe Pavelski going to Dallas. Right. Yeah. It's not I think they had a
1: couple of trades, I believe, too, did they not? Like didn't Donskoy his need free mm-hmm. agent he went somewhere. He he left to go to Colorado. Yeah, they see? traded Justin Braun. Yeah. That's one thing of Justin Braun. Yeah. yeah so yeah. They,
0: they did lose some, some depth. quality depth yeah. on that team in addition to Joe Pavelski. I think tomorrow night is going to be a pretty good test for the Spreads team. Uh I said this with Floyd Reese during the, uh, during the afternoon show, that the first three opponents I don't think bring the kind of test that Washington will tomorrow night. Minnesota, not good. Detroit, not good. You just can't beat them to save your life. Ten out of the last 11. I have no idea why. But 10 of your last 11 against the Red Wings, the Red Wings have won when the Red Wings have stunk.
1: Right, but they also, the Predators also had a
0: really poor first period in that game that all the players admitted to. They did, and the Red Wings had adrenaline. It was their first game of the season, but still. Anyway, Detroit's not very good. Right. San Jose is struggling, but Washington is good. Right. They have started the season on a good note. Got points in all four games. So I think that will be a quality test Thursday night. And then Saturday. Celebrate the grand opening of the brand-new state-of-the-art Fordyce Center in Bellevue. That is Saturday at 2 p.m. I will be there with Justin Bradford from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. with a little bit of Preds Extra. And there's going to be a whole lot going on. There will be giveaways, free food, free public skate, and kids activities. Plus Nash and the Preds Energy Team will be there. It's the grand opening celebration of Fordyce Center in Bellevue at 7638 B. Highway seventy South this Saturday at two p.m. So that should be a lot of fun. There's going to be a watch party for Preds Kings because it's a late afternoon game. It's not a late night game, thank God. <laughs> a ten thirty start. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so
1: the old ten thirty West Coast start. Yeah.
0: So that should be a lot of fun on Saturday. Hope everyone can make it out to that. Hope everyone can make it here to Brew House South in Cool Springs for Smash Live coming up at the top of the hour. But coming up next, is this Preds offense going to be better? Than we had expected. We will debate that coming up next. He's Jeremy K. Gover. I'm Ryan Porth. You are listening to Preds Insiders live from Brew House South in Cool Springs on ESPN 102.5 The Game, streaming on the Game National App. <music> Ryan Porth, Jeremy K. Gover here with you, Preds Insiders live from Brew House South in Cool Springs, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Preds Insiders brought to you every every Monday and Wednesday from six to seven p.m brought to you by Cool Springs Laser Dentistry for all your dental needs. Visit kellyerice.com. Cool Springs Laser Dentistry just down the street from here at House South. Nashville's number one Ford dealer, Wyatt Johnson Ford, Carrie Zire, REMAX Elite, and Geno's East on the corner of 3rd and Korean Veterans Boulevard. Whew, okay. You done? I'm done. <laughs> so, last night, the Nashville Predators beat the San Jose Sharks 5-2 and... 13 goals in three games. Pretty impressive start is impressive. to this season after what happened in the offseason in which they trade P.K. Subban, a star defenseman, with the cap space generated by that. They signed Matt Duchesne in free agency, star center. And I didn't really know what to expect. I was kind of in a wait-and-see mode with, with, with this forward lineup. As the preseason went along, I was thinking, huh, there might be something here. They may – this Forsberg-Duchene-Granlin line has potential. But what we've seen in the first three games, for me, has been better than I had expected. For me,
1: it was all about whether Granlin was going to be able to come back and be the player they thought they were getting when they traded for him last year. And I think it's clear to say – it's safe to say that that's exactly what they got. right? They're getting this guy who was a perennial 60-point player – who could not only set up but also shoot uh, with some accuracy. And he's fitting in really well with Matt Duchenne and Philip Forsberg right now, even though his stats aren't as boastful as the other two. He really is a main cog in that wheel. He's creating chances. He's creating space for those guys. I mean, there's a lot of really good things and exciting things to be happy about if you're a Predators fan in that regard. Uh, You want to see him get rewarded more often, obviously, but uh, that'll come in time, I think. I, I predicted it to be on the game dot com at the beginning of the season, Granlin would get sixty points, Duchesne would get sixty points, and Forsberg would get sixty points. Mm-hmm. And I still believe that's going to be the case, even though he's only got one goal right now. Duchesne and Forsberg could crack seventy. Oh, for sure, if they stay healthy the whole time and yeah. right, that's yeah, no, no question. I just didn't want to go that bold. You oh, know? Okay. <laughs> you know? so I was like, all right, well, let's put it sixty. You have a limit on your yeah. boldness. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to go all hot take central. I just want to be okay. These okay. sixty is a good, safe, but yet risky if risky if that's not even a word risky-esque number yeah you know yeah so and plus, plus this team should welcome any 60 point score i mean think of it johansson gets 60 points fordrick gets 60 points dushane gets 60 points and grandlin gets 60 points what about you know T- T- gets 30 goals and yossi gets sixty, fifty-five, 55 or 60 points. i mean there's there'd be very little to complain about right Right. so
0: i think you take it all day long i i think you absolutely would and by the way, Matt Duchesne slacking last night. Only one assist. Oh, I know. Come on. Okay. I mean, to start pulling his weight right got here. three assists opening night, ridiculous. two assists Saturday. Ridiculous. How can you only end up with one assist? He's, we're tr- he's trending down. Boy. We're, we're he's trending down. He's only on pace now for 164 points this season. That is a far cry from the 207 he was on before. I know, right? So, I, I just, look, it's three games, and they will go through some ebbs and flows. Of course. There's just a different feel to the offense and just the entire operation on the ice. Like, I know the, de- the defense has been active under Peter Lavulette over the years, but you look at the goal that Ryan Ellis scored on opening night, the goal that Matthias Ekholm scored Saturday night, the goal that Roman Yossi, his first one last night, all at even strength, if memory serves correct. All the defenseman is active right in front of the goalie and scoring those goals. I I don't know. I just... I kind of like where this thing is going right now. A- and I know, again, ebbs and flows happen, but this, this offense might be as good as it's – it has the potential to be as good as it's ever been. The most telling stat for me
1: is that we're, f- we're four, uh, for four games and three games in. With three, sorry, three, games, three games in, I was thinking of the Sharks earlier. The, they're two the, and one. The three two plus oh one and three, is three. Sorry, Go sorry, over it. Yes, I yes. that. sorry Sorry, Sharks in the brain. <laughs> uh, they're three games in, and that actually makes my point even more, actually, more uh, stronger, is that they're three games in, and every skater who has taken the ice for the Predators, Sands, Matt Irwin, Dan Hamuse, and Yannick Weber, have at least one point already. Mm-hmm. That means that the attack can come from... Anywhere. It's not just the at Duchesne At any time, line right, right. The, 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 the opposing uh, defense can't just focus on, well, okay, well, they'll focus on the Johansson line. Oh, well, then Duchesne will burn you. Okay, fine. We'll focus on the D- Duchesne line. Well, all right, fine. But then Colton Sissons will come out and burn you. And Austin Watson will get some. I mean, they just come in waves with very few exceptions in the third pair. Other than those things, the, this this team can attack at any
0: time from anywhere. The the Forsberg, Duchesne, Grand the line is getting all the headlines as they should that right right now. Here's where I would get excited about the ceiling and the potential of this team, okay? If Craig Smith, Ryan Johansson, and Victor Arvidsson get going at 5-on-5, five five, I, I think they're still trying to work through the chemistry. We're about to hear from Ryan Johansson on the postgame show last night talking about trying to find chemistry. There was a, a play in the first period, a shift that they had, where I think Ryan, where, uh, Craig Smith and Victor Arvidsson almost ran into each other at the blue line you know it stopped their momentum going into the offensive zone and there i think are some little things that they're trying to work out but i think if that line gets going the potential for this offense goes next level and they're just working through the kinks right now to try to get to that point and that's what ryan johansson said last night here was johansson on the post game show with myself and hal gill
1: yeah, it's, it's an adjustment for sure. We've got to continue to work at that. And it um, starts in our practices right now and just, you know, having, being on the same page and uh, you know, having a structure with the three of us. And, you know, we're, we're kind of getting a little spread out. We've got to be able to support each other a little bit more and get a little closer and, uh, in the battles and things like that. And, but, uh, you know, Smitty's a horse, Harvey's a horse, and, and we we just got to keep
0: working at it to, to get things going for us. That was Ryan Johansson last night on the postgame show. And my whole thing on this is you've got one line that I think you can bank on five on five, one healthy, Forsberg, Duchesne, and Granlin are going to be pretty darn good. If you can get Smith, Johansson, and Arvidsson going, all of a sudden the opposing coaches are going to have a hard time trying to figure out which line do they need to put an emphasis on every single night or more emphasis on, you know, on which Preds line do they put their top D pair, all that kind of stuff. Their shutdown line. Exactly. You have two offensive lines that can execute at a high level. All of a sudden, I think we can start getting excited about what this team could do this season. I don't like
1: putting a lot of stock in such a small sample size of three games, but we have seen, short of maybe a true contender, uh, I, we have seen a, a diverse group of opponents in that three games, right? We've seen, uh, like you mentioned, like Minnesota is because like, they're not that good, and Detroit is kind of a pretender at this point. Like they're they're having success at the moment, but we know who they are. We think we know who they are, and then San Jose is a team that's perennially a good team, a playoff team, definitely, and they're kind of in struggles. So we've seen that that mixture, and I like that you can say, okay, the Predators have been impressive against all three teams, sometimes the whole game, other times just two periods or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're right. It's been a sustained attack. It's offense from anywhere. And it's eventually going to get to the point where you're right, Borth, that the team that they're playing against has to say, all right, Duchesne and Granlund and Forsberg are going right now. They're on fire. So let's put our top D pair in our shutdown line when we're at home against them. And then we're going to just take our chances with the Johansson, Arvis and Smith line. And But what that does is all of a sudden that leaves the third and fourth line, which we've, I asked Philip Forsberg yesterday you know, about the fourth line being not a, not a traditional fourth line. He said, no, it's got to be the best fourth line. Well, almost, he said it with a laugh. Mm-hmm. It says, it's got to be the best fourth line in the National Hockey League. So now you're opening up the potential for those guys to get in on some scoring as well. And that can only help the Predators going forward.
0: Well, and – we saw what happened to the Preds last year when they could only rely on one line. Right, The Jofa line carried a lot of the offensive weight last regular season, and they couldn't do it in the playoffs because the Stars knew if they shut them down, they were probably going to win the series. Right. And what happened? They shut down the Jofa line. They won the series. And the key to that is that
1: the confidence wasn't there for other aspects of the game. So even if they, sh- even if they shut down the top line... The power play should be able to offset that, but then it wasn't clicking, right? Yeah. So, But now you have a, two power play goals in the season already. So there's there's a lot going on. That Again, it's early. We, I, I totally get that, and I understand that, and I want to listen to that. But there, I see
0: too much positivity to not be excited going forward. So I have a quick take on Cali Yarncroak. I believe the Nashville Predators should bench Cali Yarncroak for – A game or two coming up, if he does not get out of this funk that he's in, he has scored four goals in his last 71 games, including the playoffs. Remember that hat trick that he scored last November against L.A.? Random hat trick. Yes. Scored the hat trick since then, four goals in 71 games. And we're seeing Kyle Turris play better. He scored a big goal last night, but even in the first two games, I thought he played better than what we had seen for a lot of last regular season. He looks great, and I think you have to see what you have in Daniel Carr. I mean, Daniel Carr is someone that they were high on when they signed him in the offseason, AHL MVP. Who knows if he can really stick at the NHL level, but if Carr brings more offensive value with Kyle Turris and Rocco Grimaldi and you can continue to get Kyle Turris going, and in the meantime, if you light a fire in Cali Yarncroke and make it known to him that his spot isn't guaranteed in that lineup, I think there could be some long-term advantages to uh, to trying to send a message to Cali Yarncroft, and th- that's just me watching this Preds team. I know he can be valuable defensively. He's on that, uh, that shorthanded, that, that, uh, that penalty kill unit a lot, usually on the second unit after Sissons and Benino. but uh, I think that is a player they absolutely need more out of moving forward. Right now... First of all, I agree with you.
1: But it is difficult to make that call, I think, because this is a guy who played 81 games f- four years ago, 81 games three years ago. He had some injury history. He got 68 games. that, And then 79 games last year. This is a, but my point is, this is a full-time NHL player that you are suggesting they just scratch, right? And say you're a healthy scratch for a couple games. You you have every right in the world and you're actually probably logic your logic is in the right place as well. It'll light a fire under him, you get the you get the new guy a chance to see
0: what he got out of him. All wonderful things, all good things. I'm not yeah, I, I'm not saying to cut him or no, 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 I'm, right, I'm saying the sure. if you want to get more out of him, then maybe maybe send a little bit of a message. The my point though is gonna be that he's a guy
1: that that his teammates trust. We've constantly heard he's one of the smartest players in the team, we've heard that several times. Right? And so it'd be interesting to see how he would react to that, you know, one or two games, just kind of healthy scratch, you know, whatever. Because to me right now he's very Freddie Goudreau. And what I mean by that is he's a nice player. Everyone likes him. He's well-respected. But he doesn't improve your lineup right now, right? You put him in the lineup, he doesn't improve it, and he doesn't – he doesn't make it worse either. He's just kind of a, I don't know, a warm body is pretty cold. I shouldn't yeah. say it like that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, no, there's no impact What's one way or the other when Cali Crook is in the lineup right now. That could change tomorrow. It could change next week. But right now, you're right. I think th- th- we have not seen a whole lot of the old Cali he,
0: He's not in the lineup to provide a lot of offense or score a lot of goals. I disagree with that. But
1: well, Because the third line is built like a depth scoring line. When You've got Grimaldi line, who line, wants to be... You got Grimaldi who wants to re- re- resurrect last season. You got Kyle Turris who's trying to forget last season, and he looks really good doing it. So he
0: is kind of set up in a well, way. Yet, yes and no. My, my point is, you you can't have him be a complete zero offensively. Like right when, when you're out there, just knowing that or thinking that you're just not going to get much out of him. Right, and, and I agree. With that. I would love for that to change with Cali Yarncroak and if. Benching him for a game or two and seeing what you got in Daniel Carr and then putting Yarncroke back in the lineup. And, you know, if he becomes a consistent contributor offensively, like he had been in, in years past, then I think that could be something worth looking at. I don't know if they would, but that's just me. I'm interested to see what Daniel Carr brings to
1: the table anyway. So I may have, uh, you know, some personal bias here. I want to see what he if he fits into the NHL picture, especially on this team. And honestly, guys, and I wrote this in my column at uh, the, uh, the com as well, Daniel Carr and Rocco Grimaldi seem to have good chemistry in the preseason together, which shocked me because I thought those two guys were competing for the same spot.
0: And here they were when they got together. So you're, that even further invalidates your scenario. Coming up next, the latest on the Roman Yossi contract extension situation. There was a report from Sportsnet yesterday we will share that with you coming up next. He's Jeremy K. Gover. I'm Ryan Porth. You're listening to Preds Insiders live from Brew House South in Cool Springs. It is ESPN 1025 The Game streaming on the Game National app. Welcome back into the show, Preds Insiders. Ryan Porth, Jeremy K. Gover live from Brew House South in Cool Springs. We are 30 minutes away from Smashville Live. Right here. Yeah, come on.
1: Yeah. That's the real show you guys are here for. Yeah. I don't Dan, blame you, yeah, by the way.
0: You guys aren't here to see us. You're We're here to see Kyle Terrace and Dan Hamuse, Braden Gall, and Hal Gill coming up at the top of the hour. We're the opening act. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> So Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet put out his 31 Thoughts column yesterday, and it's always a very thoughtful 31 Thoughts. And the number one bullet point I found found to be interesting.
1: Not 17, not 26, number one.
0: Elliot Friedman's number one bullet point said, quote, one negotiation that has hit a snag, Nashville's Roman Yossi. There was momentum in the summer. That has stopped. Unless you're actually in the room, you're never sure if it's something serious or the two sides grinding away. But there is surprise it isn't done yet. That was Elliot Friedman in 31 Thoughts on Sportsnet. So... I'm surprised that Yossi has not been signed yet. Are you? I am very surprised. And let me give you a nugget. Okay. This one
1: from this past March. Yes, it's related. Go with me on this. Here we go. Okay. Pierre Lebrun, in, in a podcast that The Athletic does, said, and this is a quote that he said on, on the podcast, when he went to the wire with Ryan Souter, and Souter went to Minnesota in 2012, David Poyle made a conscious decision that he would never go to the wire again with a core UFA. So last summer, if Ryan Ellis doesn't sign that extension one year out, I'm telling you this right now, Ryan Ellis is traded by the end of October of this season unquote." Now remember, that's last season. So he's, Pierre LeBron is basically saying to the things that he's heard, mm-hmm. Ryan Ellis is traded by the end of October. If he's not re-signed, one year out, nobody is talking about this quote that Pierre LeBron has put, put out there in March. Probably because it's disconnected. But here we are with a core UFA.
0: They're not trading him.
1: I understand story. that, but I'm saying that no. But there's no like there's no like talk about it being pressure or you know oh well Roman Yost has got to get under contract because of this, because Poyle has this rule that he likes to follow. All the, nobody's talking about it, mm-hmm. and I'm and I am on high alert. Every day, because I'm waiting for that shoe to drop. Not the trade, but just the fact that they're working to get something done. Or how long does he go? How long do both sides
0: go before they make a decision one way or the other? Look, I expect at some point this season this gets done. I would be shocked at some point this season if Roman Yossi, the captain of this team, one of the biggest arteries of this team, does not... Sign his long-term extension I would be shocked I agree I, I would be floored If that does not happen I am curious about A couple things in this One I'm curious where the Preds Are coming in at In, the, in the, the negotiation And where Roman Yossi's camp Is currently at In the negotiation I don't think Eric Carlson Getting an $11.5 million contract This summer Helps the Preds In that negotiation Because Roman Yossi Can make a case That he's one of the Top five defensemen In the National Hockey League and is deserved to be paid like a top-five de- uh, defenseman in the National Hockey League. And if he makes more th- uh, north of $9 million, all of a sudden he's the third highest-paid defenseman in the league. So I'm not surprised that Yossi wants to get his money, especially when he's been playing on a hometown discount for seven years now. The, when I look at Cap Friendly and I look at where the
1: Predators stand going forward, the next biggest contracts coming up for Poyle aka he has to consider them mm-hmm. when this Roman Yossi negotiation is happening is Philip Forsberg's contract at 6 million a year is up after 2021-22 mm-hmm. so the summer of 22 Holmes 3.75 million bargain steal of a contract is also up at the same time those are the next two dominoes to fall and Poyle can't just go out and sign Roman Yosi to a I don't know, make up some absurd number, $10 million a year deal. Sure he can. And still have those guys also making probably at that point ten million as well. If not, uh, yeah, the, in the ballpark of. Porth, uh, come on. Not right now, but in three years, it will be around 9 Who knows nine where to that 10 trajectory million, of what contracts what goes in the National Hockey Right, League. and he, he has to be mindful of that. So I don't actually fault Poyle at all for trying to get Yossi on the cheap because he's got two... Well, one superstar and one star caliber player on the horizon.
0: Now, it's not soon, but he still has to factor it in. Here's the thing. It's not the Wild West anymore. Yossi has a lot of the leverage in this. Oh, most, of of it, most of it, if not all of it. I mean, you're one of the top defensemen, offensive defensemen in the league. You're one of the top overall defensemen in the league. You're the captain of this team. You're one of the faces of the franchise. And you know if you hit the open market next July one, you can make over $10 million. No question. Well over $10 million. And this team just traded P.K. Subban, and Yossi also knows that David Poyle, it, it would, David Poyle can ill afford to lose both Subban and Yossi in, a, in the span of 12 months. So uh, no argument here. Uh, I think Yossi has a lot of the leverage. I do think at some point David Poyle has to cave a little bit. Whatever the difference is in this, Roman Yossi, is one of your franchise players, and you don't let a guy like that get to free agency. Another thing I will say, though, is that uh,
1: Roman Yossi is 29. He'll be 30 before next year. So when the new contract, regardless of what it looks like or where it is, his new contract will start when he's 30. So if he signs with Nashville, if he resigns with Nashville, he can get the eight-year deal, right? Mm-hmm. That will put him at 38 Making whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. Nine, now, 9.25, right, right. 9.5, whatever. Right. That's 38 is pretty. Now, and, and Nick, Nick Lidstrom's don't grow on trees. I think I was like 43 and he played forever. And right, he was an all star. So maybe he is a Nick, Nick Lidstrom. I don't know. But my point is, is that that's an old age for a huge contract. And I don't want to hear about this. Well, he's got a bargain contract now. They owe it to him. Bull. That's great, and that's awesome. And sure, that, that should be, that's definitely in Roman Yossi's camp in their argument that he's taken a discount for this long and that he deserves a big payday. And, I, and nobody's going to dispute that. My issue is that cannot affect what the Predators do and offer. They, can, they, they cannot be like, oh, you know he's such a nice guy by, by taking that real cheap contract for so long, we're going to go ahead and pay. They can't do that because, again, they've got Eckholm and Forsberg coming up in a few years, and they've got to be able to fit those guys under contract as well. You've got to fit all three.
0: Yeah, you got to gotta find a way. Yes. And Absolutely. this is the
1: first building block of that.
0: You know what else I'm kind of curious about is is a no-trade clause a part is that a part of this negotiation? It would not shock me at all. And the fact that it's hit a snag according to Elliot Friedman and his great reporting at Sportsnet, that's something to consider because we know GM David Boyle doesn't hand out no-trade clauses like candy unlike some other NHL GMs. Another thing to keep in mind is Yossi's agent is based in Los Angeles. Where do they play this weekend?
1: In Los Angeles.
0: Uh, but that's not if, in today's well, day and well, age. Look, if David Poyle's on the trip, maybe, maybe they have a meeting, and there can be some momentum gathered that apparently has hit a snag recently.
1: That may be the case, but I, I refuse to believe that in today's day and age with technology the way it is that anybody needs Wanting is another thing. I'm not talking about that. But needs a face to face to get anything done. It's just convenient. It is, for sure. And but I'm just, just saying, it's just to you know. FYI. That's a four year information. <laughs> uh, about the NTC, the no trade, we know Pecorino has a modified no trade. And we also know that Matt Duchesne, in the last three years of his new contract, hasn't modified no trade. And we also know, well, we shouldn't say no, it was also reported that Ryan Ellis wanted a no-trade last summer Mm -hmm. and did not get it. And so you're right. Boyle does not give out no-move clauses under any circumstances unless your name is Pecorine. And then, of course, just to get the Matt Duchesne one done, he basically had to cave, which makes me think maybe to get the Roman Yossi one done, he just needs
0: to cave in that area. So Adam Vinkin of The Athletic was on Morning Drive earlier today. He said if nothing is done by midseason, that is when we should start getting concerned. Do you agree with that? Do you think it should be sooner than that? What's kind of your thought on that? I think December 1st. December December 1st? Yeah, I think so.
1: I think December 1st is good because, again, if Poyle has this, as Pierre LeBron said in March on the podcast, The Athletic, if he does have this rule, this personal rule, that he's not going to go to free agency with a core, a core free agent anymore, and that date seems to be, and I'm the one putting these two dots together, by the way, this part of it, mm-hmm. if, he's, if he would have traded Ryan Ellis by the end of October then let's just call November 1st the deadline. I think you give your captain some grace there, a little gray area. Therefore, December 1st, I think, is when you – because you can't go past the trading deadline. You're going to have to move him for something at that point, right. even though if you don't want to, because they did that with Ryan Souter and he can't get burned again. So, for me, I think it's December 1st.
0: I think it's a good, logical date. Coming up next, what do we think of this new-look power play the Preds have been putting out there the first three games of the regular season? And when can we expect UC Soros to start next? We will get into all that coming up next. Ryan Porth alongside Jeremy K. Gover. Preds Insiders live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs, ESPN. 1025, the game streaming on the game national app.
1: Inside the right circle, Nashville zone, is Ryan Ellis. He gives to Yossi, who carries to center. Off the skate of Sissons, coming down the right wing. Yossi scores! Roman Yossi coming down the middle. And the Predators are up 1-0. Eric Carlson comes up, left side at center, gave the puck away. Forsberg flipped it back. Forsberg study he scores! Still Forsberg! And there goes Brett Peterson to the parking
0: garage. That was Pete Weber last night on the call as the Preds beat the San Jose Sharks by a score of 5-2. As our player guests for Smashville Live coming up at the top of the hour have entered the building, Kyle Terris and Dan Hamuse. That is Smashville Live coming up at 7 o'clock. Braden Gall and Hal Gill will be hosting with them. So go over the power play Mm -hmm. through three games, two for nine, and it just looks so much better. It looks like it has a purpose out there. It looks like there's some, some urgency to what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. Not all nine power plays have looked fantastic, but I think the overriding theme of the early returns of this power play is that this is headed on the right path. We're seeing a lot cleaner zone entries. We're seeing
1: a lot more board work. We're seeing a lot more one-touch passes to create space. All of these things unanimously put it in a better position than it did last year. Because last year you had the drop pass. You had the multiple drop passes sometimes. You had all kinds of stuff. You had entries that would come in the zone and then immediately kick back out and you had to reset. And we're seeing a lot fewer of those instances. We've seen some, but you're going to have that in, in, over the course of a season. But to, to see how drastically different it looks, to be able to have sustained pressure more often than not, to have uh, sustained zone time more often than not, to register high-quality scoring chances, more often than not maybe not shots on goal necessarily but high quality scoring chances these
0: are all great things going in the right direction i felt about mid february maybe early march after the trade deadline when those new acquisitions still weren't getting that power play going that it felt like it was at a point of no return and i think this offseason was kind of a reset button for that power play and the power play man you know it the and it doesn't just look different. They are utilizing their pieces different on the power play. Yes, for sure. You mentioned the one-touch passes. You have Matt Duchesne added to the lineup. Victor Arvidsson is not just being a jump screener in front of a point shot. They're not relying on the point shot just at will like they did the last couple of years where it became very predictable. So uh, I definitely like where this is going. Again, just three games. We'll see where it goes from here. But the early returns, uh, I do like.
1: Yeah, they're clicking a 22% success rate right now, which is a full, if my math is correct, 11% higher than (laughs) last year. Again, it's early, right? But they've only got two power play goals, and they're going 22%. So, again, you're right. Things look better. Different players, Porth, we have not mentioned, different players are taking their chances as opposed to just, it's just bombs away from the point. You're actually going to have... You actually have cross-ice passes that are being fed through. You've got Ryan Johansson shooting the puck. Phil Ford for shooting the puck. Victor Arvidsson is able to shoot the puck now. And in addition, you have the point shots available, but it's you're not relying on the point shots anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest key, I think, more than anything, other than, of course, the zone entries, because you can't do any of that without getting the puck in the zone. So. so
0: so we'll see how that power play continues moving forward. Tomorrow night against the Washington Capitals, the last of a four-game homestand stand. For the Nashville Prayers before they go out on the road. And speaking of the next few games, always interesting to see how Peter Laviolette plays his cards between the pipes. Pecorine got games one and three of the regular season. UC Saros started the second game. Go over how would you kind of see this playing out with uh with Pecarine and UC Saros here in the next week or so? Well,
1: Soros was not at his strongest against Detroit. Uh, he had some decent saves, but he wasn't you, you certainly wouldn't say he blew the doors off the place. Like, we know he can. Right. Uh, I, I see him getting a couple more starts this month to see how he's going to kind of fit in and kind of get him some game action. Because, again, sitting on the bench watching Pecorino doesn't help him either. Right. Right. And they can, And I don't believe, I, I have not double-checked this, I don't think they can option him to Milwaukee anymore without exposing him to waivers. So that's out. So now he's got to get action in. So And we all know he's a great goaltender. We all know that. But to see that kind of performance uh, against Detroit on Saturday... Uh, although, again, his, the team in front of him wasn't exactly stellar in that first period either. I, I see him getting a start probably uh, Saturday against L.A. I would agree with that. And probably the next Saturday at home against Florida. I would say those are probably the two. And then from that point, then you kind of see what you have. Yeah. Get his confidence back up and all that. I think
0: that's fair. I mean, the way Pecorine played last night. Yeah. I mean, it. it, it wasn't a standout performance, but it was a rock-solid performance, for well, sure. It didn't
1: need to be. And, again, as we talked about earlier, he made the key saves at the key times. Yeah. He didn't have to stand on his head and be ridiculous. He just had to chip in at the
0: moment that he needed to and rescue the game. Yeah. I mean, I thought the the biggest save that Pecorino made, as I said earlier in the show, was the save that he made on Brent Burns early in the third period when he went from his, his left to his right on the power play and – shut the door on Brent Burns, and a couple minutes later, the guy standing right in front of us, Kyle Turris, goes down and scores a, a pretty big goal in that game. I, you know, I, I think Pekka, you would like to see him get into a, little bit of a, in, into a little bit of a rhythm and start a few games in a row or start, you know, not go every other game to open the season and ease Pekka in. Just let him get into that rhythm. Right off the bat, but you don't have to go overboard with it either.
1: Right, but you also, at the same time, you want to find spots for Saros
0: to Sure, but it's not like it was two or three years ago where it's going to be every three weeks. Right.
1: No, that's very true. Because his workload's going to increase, even if it's just by a game, right? His workload's going to increase over last year uh, going forward. So, yeah, you're right. But I think L.A. on Saturday is a good opportunity for him, and I think Florida the next Saturday is a good opportunity for him because then he can get into game action. He can see some diverse rosters in front of him, uh, and... And the Predators can get him involved as well while still allowing Renee to have two or three games in a row
0: in between those games. Tomorrow night, Preds Capitals, pregame at 6, puck drop at 7 right here on ESPN, 102.5. The game, as, I, as I've said a couple times in this show, I think that's going to be a really good test for the Preds. And Preds Caps is always a fun game. Always. You and know, Forsberg Forsberg's good for a couple goals. Exactly. Or maybe a couple points. Yeah. But he has scored in... All three games. He has. He's looking to extend
1: that streak. And, again, with his history against the team that drafted him, it's a pretty good chance that he's going to impact the score sheet at some point tomorrow night. Absolutely.
0: Gover. Fourth. Been a whole lot of fun. Yep. Thank you so much for uh, for coming by and joining me here on Preds Insiders. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Always good to have you by. Check out Jeremy K. Jeremy K. Gover's work at thegamenashville.com and on the Nashville Predators radio network coming up next it is smashville live right here at brew house south in cool springs Braden gall and hal gill will be joined by kyle turris and dan hamuse for an hour of fun preach talk penalty box radio coming up at 8 p.m later on this evening stick around right here on your home of smashville espn 1025 the game streaming on the game national app